Um, we are, you know, this is the last Sunday in Advent, and so this is, we're coming, we're almost to the end of our Advent series. We have one more message after this, which is actually just a, it's about a, a five to ten minute message that takes place on Christmas Eve. And so if you're here for that, you'll hear the last message of the series. But uh, today we're talking about songs of peace, and this is out of Luke chapter 2. So uh, we're going to be reading Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 14. And uh, you can stand with me in honor of God's word, as is the custom here. I would urge you to either uh, read along, um, you know, in your own mind, or even just close your eyes and kind of envision this scene. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And may God add rich uh, blessing to both the reading and the hearing of his word. You can have a seat and join me in prayer, please. Jesus, we thank you for the kids. Uh, We thank you for the blessing of kids in our lives. Uh, You know, I pray for mine right now at home, sick, unfortunately. Uh, We uh, we know that there's a lot going around these, uh, you know, this time of year. And uh, so we ask for physical protection for our kids. We also ask God for uh, spiritual blessing over the children. And uh, we recognize that, you know, the faith that we're a part of is one that Uh, While we have to choose to engage in a relationship with you personally, we also come to a place where we learn and we grow in the faith because of a long, deep, and rich heritage that leads us to the place where there are still people who transfer the word of God from one generation to another. And we're asking God that you would bless the kids right now, that there would be a blessing over them, that they would receive the word of God, and it would go deep into their hearts and minds. We ask that you would be with those who who are teaching God, that you would bless them. Uh, in, as they teach. We also ask that you be with us here uh, as uh, we have our own issues and our own struggles that, uh, and we need to be encouraged and reminded of the truth of what it is that you provide in our lives. We need our eyes taken off of us and onto you and onto your word so that we can be recentered and refocused, God. And so we ask that you would build in us faith as you speak to us again today about this incredible event. And, I, and again, I just feel the need to praise you for how you came to earth, not just for the fact that you came to earth, not just for the fact that you died on the cross for us, but for the way you came with such poise and with such humility. And you just slid into our world and you announced it to shepherds and there was far away kings who heard, but by and large you came unnoticed and unheard and you slid in and became one of us from the celestial palaces of heaven And we just thank you and praise you, God, for taking the time, the energy, 
the uh, you know massive dip in pride that it would take to to step out of heaven and come to earth. We just thank you and praise you. Open up your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So songs of peace, you know, I think it's an interesting time for us. As I was preparing this message and thinking about peace, I was thinking peace is a really, really interesting topic to be talking about right now. I had no idea, of course, when we laid out this series that uh, Connecticut, the stuff that went down in New Newtown was going to happen, you know, uh, prior to this message. Um, But, you know, when I think about our world right now, suicide bombers and, uh, you know, drone strikes, and I think about the housing market and the job market and the stock market and total turmoil, you know, and, and you think about families that are just in shambles and relationships are really hard to sustain, kids, parents being afraid to send their kids to school a little bit right now, you know, uh, for fear they might tragically lose them. There's a, there's a lot of stuff, you know, just a lot of stuff. And that's all the exterior stuff. That's the stuff in our world. But then there's like the internal stuff. I don't know about you, but I haven't quite arrived yet in my journey. You know, like I, I still struggle with stuff. And I have my own internal things that I got to work through, you know. And I got I to gotta figure out there's things about myself that I wish were different at times and that I wish were more sanctified, you know, had changed more. And so there's a world in turmoil and there's still internal stuff that that we go through. And all of that, when you, when you piece all that together, when you put it all into, you know, the mess that we live in in our world, talking about peace is an interesting thing to enter into the, the conversation, you know. It's not easily understood right now, I don't think. What, what is peace? What does that look like? It's not an easy time in our world to understand that. Although, I'm wondering if it might be, like, actually a very, very good time. Not just because we need peace, but, I mean... We might be more ready to see what peace is than we have been previously. Let me explain. You know, um, Paul says that there is a peace that passes all what? Understanding. Yeah, and you know, understanding is kind of how we function in life. We understand stuff. We understand what we have. We understand how things work. We understand how to get stuff done. We have our talents. We have our resources. We have our relationships. We have a certain amount of time. And with all of that, we add it up to do what it is that we're going to do. And we try to manipulate the circumstances of our lives to be as good as they can, given the resources we have and the understanding that we have. But the problem in our world right now is that it seems like it's beyond control. Like we can't control the circumstances. And it also seems like we, we, everything doesn't make sense as much anymore. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not just easily understood. And that may lead us to a place where we're actually willing to look for something that's beyond understanding. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, this piece that Paul talks about is beyond comprehension. It's beyond the normal. It's beyond what makes sense to us. And so often we lean into what makes sense to us. But I'm thinking that we're getting to a place in society where some of us might be a little more willing to say, you know, maybe we need something outside of humanity. Maybe we can't just figure this out. You know, maybe, this, maybe we can't just make enough sense of this to come to a place of peace internally and with each other. Maybe we need something else. You know, maybe there needs to be more. And I think that uniquely positions us to actually be open to the possibility of finding the Prince of Peace, to finding true peace, the peace that passes understanding. Wherever our context is, obviously, that really informs 
how we're going to view things, what it is we're looking for. And uh, it, it kind of like, you know, if I'm standing on solid ground, I want to stand on my own two feet, you know? That, and, and metaphorically and physically, I want to stand on my own two feet, and I want to take care of this. But if I get into a boat, and all of a sudden the seas come up and everything's moving all over the place, like our fishing trip, buddy, you know? <laughs> and the, and the, you know, when it's going all over the place, you, you reach out and you want to grab a hold of something, right? And you, you want to grab a hold or you want to sit down and you, you want to find a place to sit, you know, because there's, you can't really stand on your own two feet anymore. The context changes what it is that you're looking for, what it is that you desire. And uh, that if you're falling through air, of course, you would really like, you know, ground. You're not trying to stand on your own two feet. You're trying to have something lift you up. If you're uh, in, uh, there's been some people in our church over the last year who have had vertigo, you know, a couple people who have had vertigo. Terrible thing to have, you know, where the whole world's kind of spinning and you can't get your balance. And all of a sudden, understanding isn't what's important. Something solid to hold on to is important. I don't have to understand it. There has to be something hard to hold on to, you know, that stays put. And that's kind of, I I believe, where we are. Even what is uh, good news to us, the the, the scripture here speaks of the angels proclaiming good news. And what's good news to one person isn't always good news to another person. You know, what uh, my kids get super excited about and what seems like good news to them isn't always the same thing that seems like good news to me. You know, uh, there are days when it is and days when it's not. Sometimes them having a snow day isn't always a good thing for me, you know. And, uh, and where our context is and what's going on in our lives determines what the good news is and what it is that we, that we long for. You know, um, when I was in Chicago, uh, when we lived in Chicago, I, there was something that I really wanted, and it's tasty cakes. You know, you can't get them out in Chicago. I ate more tasty cakes when I was in Chicago than I ever ate when I lived in Pennsylvania. Because anytime, you know, someone wanted to send something or I came home, I'd get a whole load of tasty cakes just because I couldn't have them. And then I come home and, you know, I don't really eat tasty cakes, you know, that much. And uh, it's funny how the context really dictates the desires. The reason I say all of that is because these angels show up to a bunch of shepherds on a hillside. And they have a very specific context. And I think there's a reason why the angels show up there. I think there's a reason why God takes the angels to those guys. And I think that's because they are uniquely suited to desire what it is that God is bringing. What I mean is, like, they need good news. Can you just pull me down just a hair there? Thanks. Um, They need good news. They desperately need good news. And I think that because their ears and their eyes are kind of focused for it, you know, they're ready to, to receive good news. And l- let me explain. I mean, they're kind of in this cycle. You know the cycle that I mean? There's this guy, Caesar Augustus, who was mentioned just a few verses before. In the beginning of Luke chapter 2, you're probably all aware of how that starts out. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the known world, of the Roman Empire at that point. And he had an expansive Roman Empire. He had really expanded it after Julius Caesar. You'll hear a little bit more about him in the Songs of Victory at Christmas Eve. But one of the things that he said was he said that he brought peace and justice to the entire world. That was his big claim, that he brought peace and justice to the entire world. I just have a feeling that if you took one of these, shoul- one of these uh, shepherds by the shoulder and, you know, went to some local establishment, hung out next to him and just said, hey, so 
peace and justice. Is that what you're feeling right now? I just, I gotta guess that there would probably be a little bit of difference between what Caesar Augustus thought was going on and what these shepherds thought was going on. They were in a system that I am sure they dramatically disagreed with on a bunch of levels. You know, they had problems with the system. And they were stuck in the system. They were kind of victims in some ways of the system. I'm sure the system didn't always benefit them. I'm sure the people in Rome won. The people in the Judean foothills, they kind of lose, you know. And the, the guys who were the religious guys down in Jerusalem who were making deals with Rome, maybe it was working out okay for them. But these Judean shepherds, my guess is, is they didn't really feel that this was a freeing environment and that they were kind of stuck in that cycle. And you know, you know what I mean, right? When you're in a system, whether that's a social system, a political system, an education system, any kind of system, a financial system where you feel like there's no way to kind of break out and make the situation better. It is what it is, and I got to deal with it. That's a very difficult spot to be, isn't it? I mean, across the board, I, there's probably not very many of us in this room who haven't sat in situations where we're like, I don't necessarily like this situation, but it is what it is, and there's not really much I can do to change it, you know? And that's a frustrating place to be. And uh, these shepherds may have been frustrated. They might have even gotten depressed at times about the fact that they couldn't change how everything works. And so, you know, it's not a place where you easily find hope, where all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, you know, but something happens. And this is incredible. An angel shows up. And I just want, like, this isn't just a, a Bible story. I mean, this is a real angel shows up into their situation. How often, when I'm kind of doing the math about my own life, about, okay, here's my situation, and I, I can put some resources here, or I can put a lot, some of my time here and to kind of change my circumstances, but you can only do so much. When do we ever think that an angel is actually going to show up and tell us that the whole scene's going to change? You know, the, the person who feels powerless down here who can't change the system, the angel shows up and says, I bring you good news, which will elicit great joy, and it'll be for all people. Okay, this is potentially a true game changer, isn't it? I mean, it really is a potential game changer when even though it seems like Caesar Augustus is so big and Rome's so expansive and we can't change the circumstances and, you know, life is what it is. Yeah, but I wasn't thinking about the angel army that just showed up either, you know? Like I hadn't factored that into the whole system. I was only thinking about what makes sense to me. I wasn't thinking about the possibility of a peace that actually passes understanding, you know? And so... In enters the angel and says that there will be this good news and this good news will bring joy. But what's amazing is, is he also says it'll be joy for all people. It can be joy to all people. Now, good news usually is, you know, there's that old phrase that one person's loss is another person's gain, you know? And usually when we think about good news, I mean, it's kind of like that, isn't it? I mean, if the prices of gas go up here, they go down somewhere, you know, there's someone else is getting paid less or something. And, you know, if one person wins a game, another person loses a game. And there's always kind of like a, a cause and effect side of like good news for one person often means bad news for another person. But, and, and of course, Herod, King Herod, when he hears that this savior's been born, he thinks the same thing, doesn't he? He says, well, that's great and all, a king's coming, you know, let me find him so I can kill him because that's not good news for him, right? And so he assumes that while that'd be good news for those people, it's not good news for me. And so again, our job, 
when it comes to trying to find peace, we feel is to, to balance and to manage our circumstances in order to make sure that our life and our family have the best possible circumstances. And that may mean negative things for the person next to me, but I got to do what I got to do, you know, to take care of my home and my family and myself. And so, but this news says that it's good for all people. And ironically, of course, or maybe perfectly, the person who it's actually declared to is some guy who's, you know, a couple of guys who are out in the fields, living in the fields out there in these tents, who are shepherds, who are kind of nobodies, the average, average Joe nobody who's probably not being benefited by the system out there in the middle of nowhere. And the angel decides to show up to them to say, hey, this, this news, this is good for everybody. And I'm showing up to tell you who are uniquely suited to hear it because you need it. Because in the system where things are unstable, you're looking for something to hold on to. I'm telling you, today in the city of David, a savior will be born, Christ the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, what happens, there's something that does make a whole lot of sense. And that's the fact that this happens at the city of David. You know, uh, these guys, what is their profession? Shepherd. And uh, what city are they, where, what city are they outside of here? What town are they outside of? Bethlehem, which is the city of David. And what did David do for a living prior to being a king? He was a shepherd. Yeah. Where do you think he shepherded? Probably in those fields right there, you know, a long time before David's out there. I, I have this like dream in my mind. Just God has this deep spiritual poetry that he works with, you know? It's like a, a th historical threads. He pulls on historical threads that run all throughout history. And, and you watch God reemerge generations later in ways that it's like, oh, I forgot all about that, but God just fulfilled something. And that's the way prophecy works. And I just have this picture that it had to be somewhere where David used to sit out on a rock, playing his harp, writing music, singing to his sheep, where these angels show up and they start to sing in front of these shepherds. And my guess is, this is just, this is a complete and total fabrication, okay? This is just Tim's mind. But this is kind of how God works. It, it kind of makes a picture of, of the way God's working here. And my guess is the song they're singing is a song that David wrote, you know? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Like just this, like, I can just picture it. Like David sang there, and it's almost like, you know, thousands of years later, it's echoing. Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, the song still echoes in the valley, and now the angels pick up the chorus, and they sing it back to these new shepherds who are here on the field. And you hear the sound of the ages, the song of the ages, of the kingdom that is much deeper than the kingdom of Caesar Augustus. You know, when you start to hear the song break forth, and you start, and, and something's happening. You know, and what's amazing is, is that David was a shepherd turned king. And here is the announcement of a new king who will also be a shepherd, of whom David was just a little prophetic metaphor, you know? And David and these shepherds, I'm sure they knew a thing or two about taking care of people and taking care of sheep and watching over those in need. And of course, that's where David learned what it meant to take care of a nation. He learns first by learning how to take care of sheep, right? And, uh, you know, Jesus was now going to come and he's going to be the shepherd king. But now these shepherds are the sheep. Because, you know, like 
David, while they may have had good stuff going on in their lives, they also had darkness in their lives. David was called a man after God's own heart, but David had some pretty twisted stuff in his heart, didn't he? Didn't he? I mean, he offed one of his best friends in order to have his wife. You know, that's really, really twisted. And, uh, you know, and, and he was called a man after God's own heart because there was these great things that God put in his heart, but there was also this real darkness. And while he was a prophetic metaphor of Jesus, he was absolutely nothing like the perfect Jesus because David needed a king. David needed a savior. You know, he really needed someone. And these shepherds, they worked the graveyard shift. They live in the dark. And their hearts, while there's good stuff, it still needs light to invade, you know? And so completely and totally outside of their context, outside of their culture, outside of their own ability, light breaks forth into the darkness. Just think about this for a second. It's not just that an angel shows up. It's not just that there's this good news about Jesus. But like they're in the middle of the night and it's pitch black out and all of a sudden the sky just lights up. Isn't that crazy? I mean, talk about being able, it's hard to believe when you're in difficult circumstances that there can be peace in difficult circumstances. But it's also really hard to believe that when you're in the middle of the night in the dark that a bunch of angels are going to show up and light up the sky. It kind of confirms the message a little bit, doesn't it? That it's like, okay, whatever our circumstances are, he can bring peace into the circumstances because he can show up in the middle of the night and make the sky light again. Because usually when it's light in China, it's dark over here. But somehow that night, when it was light over here, it was still light over there because the angels showed up and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And naturally, they were terrified. That's one of the things I love. When, when angels show up, when all of a sudden we're aware of the spiritual, our fear switches. Many of us, most of us, live in fear a lot. Fear of what could happen to our family. Fear about what happens if I lose my job. Fear about my health. Fear about all sorts of things. But in that moment, nope, they're not afraid of any of those things. They were terrified of the angel. And all of a sudden, that's a reality check where our mind just switches and we're afraid of the right thing. And here in the sky, they show up and the light breaks forth and a savior is being given to them. And they desperately need something new to break the cycle. And new it is, it's a baby, you know? This isn't like old news that's being, you know, understood a little bit better. This, isn't, this is a birth of a new child that's supposed to be able to bring something new. In Ephesians, Paul says this. He says that he himself has become our peace. The peace that's being brought to us, it's not only that there's a Savior, it's not only that there's good news, it's that Jesus showed up on the scene. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he becomes our peace. This isn't a concept, it's not a theology, it's not a theory, it's not a philosophy, it's a person. It's Jesus, it's God incarnate showing up into the scene. The question is, why would he show up into the scene? Why would he decide to come here and rescue us? And the angels sing about it. There's two reasons why. The first one is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. So the first reason is for the glory of God. And the second is goodwill toward men or on men on whom his favor rests. Okay, so there are the two reasons why God would show up. The first is for his glory. Let me explain this. We talk about this periodically here. When God created us, he created us for a purpose, to glorify him. 
to reveal who he is, right? And so my character, he made us in his image. And when, when Jen and I are uh, around each other, when our family is around each other, there is this idea that God created this unit, this group of people to love one another in such a way that it looks like the triune God that we reveal the very image of God. That's the way it's supposed to look. But something happened, the whole thing fell apart, and we lost the ability to reveal the glory of God, didn't we? Because we became completely self-consumed, darkness filled our heart, and we no longer look like God. We don't love each other that way. And there's a complete and total lack of peace in our life. There's turmoil. And so why would God invade our world again? Because he wants to restore us to the glory of God. He wants to make us again look like him. Make us again be the people who reveal his glory. And this is the interesting thing, is that he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And see, there's a, there's a huge combination here. Because when there's peace, we have an ability to reveal the glory of God. If I come home from work one day, well, first, if I sit, if I sit at the dinner table and uh, you know, we have a great dinner and everything's tasty and good. And, you know, my belly just got warm and I'm feeling relaxed and at ease and at rest. And one of my boys comes over to me and decides to pick a fight with dad, you know, being funny, comes over and starts like giving me a few jabs. I'm in a very good frame of mind at that point. I chuckle, I laugh, I look over, I say, you better watch yourself, bud. You know, and he comes over, does it again. All right, you're getting dropped. And we take over a wrestling match, you know. And it's a great thing, and it's the glory of God. It's, there's goodness, and there's love happening. On the other hand, if I come home from a very stressful day, or I just got off of a conversation of someone who's really struggling, and, 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 and there's tension in my soul because I want to help, but I don't know how to, you know, or, or maybe there's some sort of conflict in my life and, and I walk in the door and I'm kind of stressed, you know, and then one of my boys comes up behind me in the kidney, boom, uh, you know, what's my natural reaction? My natural reaction at that point is to not see it as funny because I'm not in a place of peace, you know, and I want to snap, you know, I want to jump a little bit. I'm going to be like, what, what are you doing? You know, and then it doesn't reveal the glory of God. Then the glory of God's not working out in our lives, because I'm not in a place of peace. And so he says, they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Because they have to do with each other. Because if he can bring peace to earth, then it is more likely that there's going to be glory to God. You see how that works? And the inverse is also true, that the way we get our peace is by the glory of God. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, we are transformed from glory onto glory with ever-increasing glory. With unveiled faces, we stare into the glory of God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And when I behold the glory of God, it changes me internally. Things get put back to right. I realize I'm loved, I fear the right thing, and I get put to a place of peace, and then I begin to become the glory of God by the way I act, by reacting to what I just saw, okay? And so glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, they're one and the same thing. But the, the problem is, of course, for us, is that we don't typically function in a place of peace. And, and this is what he really has to work on. I want to read just a couple scriptures here for you that uh, talk about what it looks like for those of us when we struggle to have faith. Isaiah 57, if you have scripture and want to turn there, it's fine. Isaiah 57, this is just two verses, 20 and 21. It says, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, 
for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. Instead, our lives are tumultuous, tossed around. James 1 says something very similar. James 1, this is, you know, when James, when he's saying that if we ask for wisdom, if we, you know, if you ever need wisdom, God says that we can just ask for wisdom and he'll give it to us freely, freely. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be goody two-shoes or something to get the wisdom of God. He will give us the wisdom that we need if we ask for it. But then it goes on to tell us when we ask, we have to not doubt. And this is what it says in James 1, 6 to 8. It says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So what this means is, is if I'm asking for the blessing of God in my life, say my circumstances are struggling, and I don't know what to do in this circumstance, or this is just a tough situation and I want God to resolve it. Now I ask God to come and be a part of this situation. Now here's the catch. He says he will answer that prayer, but we have to submit to it. We have to have faith, which means that we trust him. So when he brings his answer, we have to actually submit to that answer and walk in it. And so if I ask God, God, please come and be present in my life and give me wisdom. Well, what happens then if he tells me something I don't want to hear? You know, what if he leads me in a way I don't want to go? What if my circumstances don't change the way I want? Well, now I have a decision to make whether I truly trust God and go to a place of rest because he's guiding my steps or whether I have internal turmoil because I'm double-minded. And while I'd like to submit to God and while I'd like to be at his way, my heart actually yearns for these things over here, which isn't what he's giving me. That makes me double-minded and I'm unstable. And now all of a sudden I don't have peace because I'm on that ocean, those waves being tossed around, and I don't have peace in my life. And then when my kid comes and punches me in the kidney, guess what? You know, like I'm not going to respond the right way because I'm not at a place of peace. Much worse, things can be a whole lot worse than that. Things can be a whole lot worse than my kid soccer punching me, right? Things get real bad. And this is why Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, there are two foundations upon which you can build your house, two materials. What are they? Sand and rock, okay? Those are the two things we can build our house on. We just had a hurricane over here. There's a whole bunch of houses that were built on sand, you know? It's a tough place to be during a hurricane, you know? Tough place to be, house built on sand. And, uh, and in our lives, this is kind of what he's trying to tell us, is if I take great joy in my circumstances, you know, I'm so excited because I just, my paycheck just, bumped up to this, or I'm really excited because, you know, I I finally have peace because I got the vacation I really needed, or, you know, whatever the circumstances in the social scene, I made this good friend and I'm very excited about that, and that, if those circumstantial things are where we find peace and where we find joy, then when the storm comes, we're going to be in trouble. What happens when that friend hurts me? What happens when that paycheck goes away? What happens when whatever, you know, now all of a sudden, the thing that I had peace in and the thing I had joy in is no longer available. And we live in a world that's full of turmoil, so you can't count on anything, you know? And as soon as one of those things switches, all of a sudden I don't have peace anymore and I can't live out the glory of God. And so he comes and invades our planet and invades our world and invades our race, our human race, in order to bring peace to mankind by revealing his glory and allowing us to know him again. 
He's going to save us and restore a right relationship with us so that we can have peace and so that he, in turn, receives glory again. Now, here's the second reason. The second reason is because he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Or in the, in the NIV here, it said, uh, on whom his favor rests. And this word favor, this is really uh, God's goodwill toward us. This is a word that really has to do with affection. This has to do with a, God's desire for us. God loves us. He cares about us. He wants what's best for us. This is goodwill toward men. So the one reason God comes is for his own glory. He can't get us back to the way we need to be unless he fixes us. So he comes to fix us. But the second reason is because he just loves us and he wants to help us. And there's no good reason why. There's no good reason. I cannot, you know, you can search the scripture all the way through. You can be a great theologian. And what you will have a very, very difficult time figuring out is why in the world God has affection toward us. Why does he? I don't know, because he's love, you know? And he just chooses to have affection towards us. But the thing about his love for us is that it's unchanging. It never changes. It's like a rock that you build your house on. And perhaps this is why Paul says that he found the key to being content in every circumstance. No matter what the circumstances are, No matter how crazy the world is around us, he found an ability to have a peace that passes understanding, contentment in every circumstance. I want to read for you uh, Paul's words in Philippians 4. Uh, This one, I I would really like you to, if you have your word, open it up. Uh, Otherwise, it should be on the screen for us here. Philippians 4, 4 to 12. Listen to the words of Paul. And I, I want to remind you, before you read it, that Paul, this is a guy who people would hit, you know, bash his head with rocks trying to kill him because he was spreading the word of the gospel. He would be flogged and have his flesh ripped apart because of uh, being persecuted for the gospel. I mean, this guy, he, he didn't have a home. He's, he's constantly on the go. He didn't have family. He didn't, he, no one traveled. This guy, his circumstances were absolutely brutal, brutal, brutal circumstances. And yet this is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, that's just a very, you notice that's a command, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. If I don't rejoice in the Lord always, I am breaking a command of scripture. Ouch, man. Then it says, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he works this out in verse 8. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him 
who gives me strength. Some pretty profound words, aren't they? They flow off of his tongue and off of his pen in a beautiful fashion, but having them flow in our lives is a whole different story, isn't it? I mean, to actually be at that place where my dependence, where what I dwell on are the things that are lovely and noble. How easy is it to constantly dwell on that which is noble and lovely, you know? It's very, very easy to dwell on the things that are frustrating, that anger me, that make me mad, that make my circumstances struggle, that keep me from having peace, you know? Because I still think that my peace is circumstantial, I have an ability to obsess over the things that keep my situation from being what it should be, you know? And what Paul says very clearly here is that don't look at all those things. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything at all. But in everything by prayer, with petition, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So what does that mean? I can look at the difficult situations and be upset. Or I can choose to do something different. I can choose to bring that to the Lord and tell the Lord, this is what's going on. And instead of obsessing about that, I'm going to focus on where you are in the middle of this. And I'm going to try to find you. This is like a scavenger hunt of finding God. Because, you know, Tim Keller, um, the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church up in Manhattan, he says this thing. I love it. He says, God with his kids. It's hard to trust him sometimes, but this is what we got to remember. This is how God deals with his kids. He gives his kids what his kids would ask for if they could see everything that he could see. Okay, so like we never ask for what we really need because we don't see what God sees, you know? He's like, but God gives us what we would ask for if we could see what he sees. And, and that might be entirely true. I don't know. There, there's also a part of me that wonders because our hearts are dark enough that we, even if we saw everything that God sees, we probably would still ask for something else. But there is a sense in which the best thing for us, we don't know what the best thing for us is. And God does. And what he knows is, is that from his vantage point, as our father, he will always take care of us. And he will always be working to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, as Romans 8 tells us. So that means no matter what my circumstances are right now, God is working something very good for me. And there is an opportunity for me to find God and to find Jesus in the midst of my circumstances. And this is why Paul goes on to say this. He says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow to also attain the resurrection. See, he understands that in difficult circumstances, God is present. In the great circumstances, God is present. If what I'm trying to do is manipulate my life in order to make the circumstances work so that I can have peace, it's never going to work out. Because even if I did get my circumstances to be what, they, what I wanted them to be, it still wouldn't bring me peace. Because the thing that I'm yearning for deep inside of my heart is I'm yearning for a relationship with my Father in heaven, the God who created me. And he is available and he's almost more available at times in the difficult circumstances, which is why he shows up to the shepherds instead of to Caesar Augustus, which is why we may be more likely to be able to understand a peace that passes understanding when we are in difficult circumstances in our life and in our country. Because we may be in a situation now where we say, you know what, I can't control my life enough to get peace. What I actually need to do is I need to have Jesus 
born into my life. I need to have God show up outside of me and what I can do to control my life. I need God to invade right now. I need light to break into the darkness. There's this guy, Horatio Spafford. You ever heard of him? Horatio Spafford wrote a famous hymn, and that hymn is called It Is Well With My Soul. And, uh, you know, Horatio Spafford, you might have heard this story. This is a pretty rough story. This guy was an extremely wealthy businessman in Chicago in the 1800s. And then something happened toward the end of the 1800s in Chicago. What happened? Fire. Insurance didn't really cover things like that, you know, back then. And he lost it all. And he went from being really, really rich to having nothing. That quick, you know? Went to bed one night, a wealthy man, woke up the next morning, broke. So he sends his family back over to England where, uh, you know, they're going to set up shop over there. And uh, on the way back, the boat crashes with another boat. And all four of his daughters die in the wreck. His wife is saved. She gets over to England and hits him with a telegram and says, uh, saved alone. That's all it says. So he hops a boat and he heads over to England. And as he's passing by the spot where the shipwreck was, he writes this famous song that we sing all the time. I'm going to read a few verses. I'd encourage you at some point to go back and read the other verses, but I'm going to read a few of them. Just imagine this man passing by the site where just two weeks before all four of his daughters drowned in this sea and he just went from being an extremely wealthy man to having nothing. Circumstances are absolutely horrific. And this is what he writes. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, and though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Some pretty powerful lyrics. Here's the thing about shepherds, is that shepherds are just normal folk, you know? They're kind of nobodies. They're just average Joes, whatever. And the reason why I believe the angel shows up there and, and the, it's not just the prophetic thread of David and all of that, there's even a deeper level of things and that's that these guys were very in touch with their humanity. They're in touch with the fact that their circumstances were less than great and they had a lot to do with that. You know, They had a lot to do with the problem. And uh, one of the things that happens with us and humanity all the time is we try to run from it. You know, we paste our smiles on and we try to change our circumstances to live like kings and queens and we try to do everything we can to make life work for us, to live subhuman lives or to live above human lives. But what the text calls out to us is it says, it's okay. It's okay. Like, you guys are total sinners, you know? <laughs> like, you fail all the time. It's okay. It's okay that 
that you can't control the situation, that you can't do anything to Caesar Augustus. It's okay. Recognize the fact that you are human, that you are a failure, and recognize the fact that it is into that mess that hope is born in the person of Jesus Christ. And that he will be a rescuer. He will be a redeemer. He will be a savior. And that no matter what the circumstances are of our lives, that we can rejoice in every situation. We can have contentment no matter what the circumstances are. If we build upon the rock of this man, Jesus, whom we celebrate his birthday this week. And he can be born in our lives. He's not dead. This is not a historical figure. This is a current living person whose spirit offers to come and enter our lives if we will receive him. And if we will enjoy this relationship with him, it changes our outlook on all of our circumstances if we make our life, our joy, our peace to be in him. Join me in prayer.